thank you. That was wonderful singing. As we were singing, I was, I don't know if you ever think about this, but you just wonder what God is thinking <clears throat> as people all over the world uh, remember him and lift up his name. You know, the essence of the beginning of all of the problems in the world and the sin in the world is what man forgot God. And so it is really good to set aside this day and to come together and uh, to come together in one heart and one voice because God tells us it brings great pleasure uh, to Him. So thank you for being a part of, of our worship today. Well, we have been going through the book of Acts, which is a history of the early church. We started a year ago. This is the final summary message, and I was thinking how to start it. And I'll tell you what came to mind was maple syrup. How many of you like maple syrup? I, okay, just about everybody. So most of you are going to like the message. Uh, not only does maple syrup taste really well, but I just, I just think it's intriguing how they make that stuff. I was fortunate enough to grow up in the country, and I was able to see them making maple syrup. And most of you probably know this, but it takes like 40 gallons of sap. You have to boil it all down, and it gives you one gallon of syrup. 40 gallons of, of tree sap will make one gallon of syrup. And so I was thinking about that, and really this morning what we're going to do is we're going to take the book of Acts, and we're going to boil it down. And I'm going to give you my maple syrup version this morning of the book of Acts. And we're going to jump right into it, and there are four themes that reoccur over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And uh, I don't care what age you are this morning, all four of these apply to your life. Uh, if we're going to be about what God has called us to be about, if we're going to get to the end of our lives and look back and say, you know what, I was able through, through the work of God to accomplish something meaningful and lasting in my life, these things will be a part of your life this morning. So, here we go. And I, I've, you know, throughout the book of Acts, there are many key verses that we could have picked. I'm just going to read one. But here's the first thing we see right from the get-go, and that is a dependency upon God through the Holy Spirit. Dependency upon God through the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31. This is one of many examples. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. Now, what's interesting about the book of Acts is we take 120 people in the upper room, and these people know nothing about planning a church. They've never been to a seminar. They, they had no training. There were no books. There were no online DVDs. There were no workshops. You didn't run down to the Christian bookstore and find one of a long list of church growth books. Just imagine, nothing. They, they had no resources. Well, except one. They had the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord said, what you need to do is you need to go and you need to wait and pray for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it will happen. And wow, it happened. 3,000 people. I mean, that's a pretty good opening day for a church plant, isn't it? In a totally pagan city. And so we, we see here that 
you know, it was just the Holy Spirit, and evidently they, they knew how to pray. And so when they needed healing for someone, they prayed. And they asked the Holy Spirit to mention. When they were in trouble, what did they do? They prayed. Uh, when they were afraid, they prayed. When they were being persecuted, they prayed. And those prayers were a result of the, a powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people would say, well, that was kind of a unique situation. Early church, the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit really doesn't work quite in that profound a way today. And I would beg to differ with that. One of the things going on today is there are incredible workings of the Holy Spirit going on, unfortunately, you know, in, in the ways in which the Holy Spirit is really working is, is not in America, but around the world. And I, just, I wanted to just read for you a news clip, lest you wonder if the Holy Spirit has ceased to work. <clears throat> this is from uh, Salem Voice, and it is, a, it is actually the, the article here is one that is uh, Joel C. Rosenberger, who's the author of the New York Times, uh, a New York Times best-selling political thriller. He is writing this just from his observations of what he's come across. More Muslims are converted to faith in Jesus, have been in, in, to Jesus Christ over the past decade than any other time in human history. More than 10,000 Muslims accepted Christ as personal savior through India during the last year. In Iraq, more than 5,000 Muslim converts to Christianity have been identified since the end of the major combat operations. 14 new churches in Baghdad, dozens of new churches in Kurdistan, some of which have 500 to 800 members. More than a million Bibles being shipped to the country since 2003, and pastors report Iraqis are snatching them up so fast they constantly need to order more Bibles. Around a million people have believed in Christ over the past decade in Egypt. They were handing out 3,000 copies of the film. Recently, they handed out 600,000 copies. Uh, in a, on the outskirts of Cairo, in an enormous cave, there are 10,000 believers meeting every weekend. They recently held a prayer conference that attracted 20,000 believers. This is in Egypt at this point. There were only 17 Christians from Islam in Afghanistan in 2001. Now there are over 10,000 believers present in Afghanistan. Baptisms are being held weekly there. There were only 500 Christians in Iran in 1979. But more than one million Iranians believing in Jesus Christ today, most of whom meet in underground house churches. In Sudan, more than a million have converted since 2000. Now, these are Muslims. These are just Muslims. This is not all people. This is just one people group, the hardest, most difficult people group to meet, many would say. One million in Sudan, despite uh, genocide that has taken the lives of over 200,000 of those people. Every hour, 667 Muslims are converting to Christ. Numbers of people coming to Christ. Why such a dramatic spiritual awakening? People have seen Islam and instead they want Jesus. One of the most dramatic developments among many Muslims, and this is being repeated throughout the world, seeing dreams and visions of Jesus Christ and thus coming into churches explaining they've already been converted 
And now they need a Bible so they know how to follow Jesus. Fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in the last days. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And they will see visions and dreams. And on the text goes. Well, that happened in the book of Acts. But I want you to know that's happening today. That's the spirit that's at work in his church. That's the spirit that's at work as well in this church. In this church. How are we doing? Dependency upon the Holy Spirit. Dependency in prayer. As we go through this, I'd like you just to kind of just kind of think this through in your own life. Is that kind of how I live my life? Do I live my life every day with this dependency upon the Holy Spirit that God could really do? God could do anything in a day. He could use me to reach someone for Christ. He could use me for healing in someone's life. He could use me uh, to do things I never imagined. Do we live? Are we living? Do we have that sense as a church that what God can do in these next weeks and months and years is beyond what we can imagine? Dependency upon the Holy Spirit. That's the first one. Okay, here's the second one. The second thing we see here throughout the books of, of Acts is this devotion to one another. We see this devotion to one another. Acts 2.42, probably one of the most classic ones. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. I've said this before, that little word devoted. It's the strongest word in the Greek language for commitment. In other words, what it says is, is that they just really made a commitment in their lives to other believers. And they invested time and energy. And what did they do? They, they made it a priority to fellowship. You know, it says they got together daily to fellowshipping together, to praying together, to the, the teaching together, and the breaking of bread, which is really a Christ-centered worship. They made this a priority in their lives, each one of them. You know, Jesus said before he left, and this is what he prayed, he said, here's the apologetic for the gospel. And what, what I mean by that is, here's the proof. For the world around you. And he prays for his disciples and says, Father, I pray that they might have this love for one another so that the world may know that you sent me. Now, you probably, many of you probably heard that before. But that's the apologetic. You know, when we say, what's, what's the sign? What, how, how can we demonstrate that Jesus is real? Well, invite them into your church and see how countercultural counter your church is. See how people here don't gossip about each other? They're supportive, they're positive, they're encouraging. Uh, if they do confront, they do it in a loving, caring way, and they are devoted to each other. That's the apologetic. That was the, you know, why did that church grow so rapidly? These people were so devoted. You know, we read of people selling things and properties and giving them to those that had need, and there was a, just a radical way in which they loved one another. I pulled this out some time ago, and it was a quote from Dr. John Piper. <clears throat> and he, he writes this, reflecting on contemporary American church. He said, sometimes I wonder if the frequency and seriousness of many problems that Christians face is not owing to the fact that most Christians in America do not experience relational, interpersonal, supernatural church life the way the New Testament describes it. 
psychological problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, self-identity problems, financial, career, loneliness, addictions, phobias, weaknesses. I wonder if the academic of emotional and psychological woes is not a symptom of an organic flaw in the way most Christians experience church life. You know, there may be a lot of, of truth to that, to that statement. We have many opportunities here to devote ourselves to one another. You know, as, as all these people stood this morning, those are all ways in which we can get involved and we can connect with other believers together. You know, I, I hope we can get beyond the American mindset that says, well, what's in it for me? Well, what's in it for me? I can tell you what's in it for you for a variety of things that we invite people here to get involved in. I'll tell you what's in it for you. What's in it for you is an opportunity to give your life away for the sake of someone else. What's in it for me is to be able to give my life away so that someone else might be encouraged and strengthened and that they might grow. And so, <clears throat> this morning, I, I asked the question, you know, how, how are we doing in our devotion to one another? This is something we have worked at very hard. This is a prior, priority that we have sought to lift up. And, you know, it's just that sense when you come to other, together with other people that we're on a vision, we're on a mission, and people are devoted to that. And we come and we support and we care because we love these people. And we want to do this together. You just see that time and time again in the early church. Devotion to one another. Well, here's number three. Number three is the centrality. It's kind of a long phrase, but I want to include all this stuff in there. So the centrality of the proclamation of the gospel. Acts 16.31, and I could go to so many examples here. You know, Paul has this miraculous thing that happens in prison. There's an earthquake. All the doors open up, and he's saved. And what is Paul thinking about in that situation? We can tell. Paul says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others who are in the house. Chapter after chapter after chapter, it's always about the gospel. It's always about the gospel. It's always there. You know, <clears throat> this, this was a aha moment for me in the book of Acts, but I, I always ask myself this question. Here's this church that's planted in Jerusalem, and things are going so well with just a short period of time, we estimate there are 10 to 15,000 people in the Jerusalem church. And they just got their first set of deacons. You know, things were getting so overwhelming, they were helping so many people in the community that they, they had to reorganize and start to structure their church, and they got deacons, and everything was set. And then it says that Stephen gets stoned, and great persecution broke out, and it says the whole thing blew up. In fact, it says the only ones left in town were the apostles. I'm going, why would God create a church that was going so well and so successful and then blow the whole thing up? Well, the answer is very clear. For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. God could blow our church up for the sake of the gospel. 
you know, we've been very aggressive in, in church planting around the world in this community. Uh, we've paid a price for that as a church in resources, in people, and so forth. But see, God's more interested in the kingdom than us building our little thing here. God is concerned about people hearing the gospel. And so to scatter that Jerusalem church, because they probably would have stayed there. It was probably a great place to go every Sunday. But God forced them out. And all over Asia, you know, when Paul went out, he kept running into Christians that had been scattered from Jerusalem out of the church. Whenever you hear Paul, you know, you just look at him and, and, and you hear him pray. You know, Paul is constantly being persecuted and constantly being brought before judges. Why? For the sake of the gospel. You know, why is... Why does... You know, why is Stephen stoned? For the sake of the gospel. Why are there shipwrecks and beatings? For the sake of the gospel. It's always for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, why am I in chains? For the sake of the gospel. You know, why is that thing going on in your life that you don't like? Maybe it's for the sake of the gospel. Maybe that brings you into a place where you've never been. A place you would never be invited for the sake of the gospel. Every time Paul gets a chance to speak, he shares the gospel. His life's decisions are, are centered around the gospel. His prayers are not for comfort or health. They're for opportunities and boldness to share the gospel. This is what our country needs. It needs the gospel. The only solution to the moral decay, the only solution to the crisis of ethics in our country is the gospel. It, it is the, you know, the only thing. We are a sinful nature, uh, nation. Christ came and died for that sin of all of us. If, will we, if we will repent of our sin, we, by turning to Christ, can be saved. And we will be transformed through the work of the Holy Spirit. And there is no other answer. There is no other answer out there. Our problem is not economic. Our problem is not political. In fact, our problem is not even moral. Because we can get the Ten Commandments back on the wall. And we can again help people see that their lives don't measure up. But the law will never save anyone. It is the gospel. It is the gospel that will save people. Our job as a church is not just to tell the world what they're doing wrong. Our job is to Share the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is where the transforming power is. Our contribution to this country is demonstrated by the stars on the wall. Because every star represents a transformed life and a whole, it sets into action a whole series of people's lives who are transformed. We've had young people that come to Christ. It's going to affect you know, what they do. It's going to affect their, uh, who they marry, it's going to affect their families, their children, their grandchildren. The Lord carries their great-grandchildren. And so the impacts are amazing. That is why it is so important that we keep the gospel central. So dependency on the Holy Spirit, uh, devotion to one another, the centrality of the gospel. Here's the last one. Moving into the culture on mission. Moving into the culture on mission. This is what the early church did. The church moved out 
and they planted new works all over Asia, and they moved out into their work. What do I mean by moving out on mission? I'd like you to listen to this little clip from Kay Warren. It's a very challenging, uh, it's a very challenging clip for us. And uh, <coughs> Kay Warren, this is the uh, wife of Rick Warren, and I just like you listening to this challenge. Well spoken. 
we cannot change uh, the channel. And the tendency, you know, of all of us is to want to go to that place of safety and comfort. And yet throughout the book of Acts, Paul models this so well. Paul models this so well in his life. He continually put himself out there at risk. He continually challenged those lies of the day, uh, the Pharisees, you know, the whole judicial system that was set up by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He went and challenged it head on. That's what it means to be a part of the church. We simply cannot meet inside these walls and be the church. God has called us to go out and to face the evil of our day. How are we doing in moving into our culture? Do you look for those places to move where Satan has his reign, where Satan holds? And by the way, you know, Jesus, when he looked out at, at the people, he looked at them as captives. And, and that's how we need to look at people, as captives. And God has called us to go out. I was just reflecting on our church vision again, and I'll tell you why I, I really like the vision God has laid before us. Our vision is very simple. It's to be relevant to our local community. It's to get engaged, and it's to continue to reach out beyond these walls. And if you were to lay that on top of the book of Acts, I think you would see that that is precisely what the church is called to do. That we are called to step up and get involved. That we are called to look at who we are and our gifts and say, how can I make an impact on this world. That's what engagement is all about. And how can we be relevant to our community? How can we get out and make a difference in our community? And not only our community, but around the world. And, and that really encapsulates what God has called us to do and what we're seeking to do in this church. God has called us to that place in our lives. I'm going to conclude here in just a minute. You know, last week I, I told you that the book of Acts ends, it almost doesn't end. You know, it's kind of, here Paul's coming for this great trial before Caesar, and it doesn't say anything about the trial or how it ended up. And I'll tell you why I believe the book ends that way. I think the book ends that way because the book has not ended. Paul, or Luke, never intended the book to end. The book is still being written. And we are part of that story. We are part of the church through the ages. It wasn't just the first 30 years of the church. It is God's kingdom being built and is the church down through the ages. And so we are writing part of that story. And I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, I want to look back and say, you know what, we, we wrote a good part of that story. We, we played a role that was meaningful and significant. We didn't waste our resources and our time and our talents. And I think we all want to get to the end of our life and say, you know what, I'm so glad I invested my life and my gifts in this story. The story of the church. That I helped leave a... I led a fruitful and faithful ministry 
until the Lord returns. Well, we're going to move on from here. And uh, my time is up here this morning. But we're going to move on as a church. And we have our own story to write. We have a vision God has put before us. We have the opportunity to live in a dependency upon the Holy Spirit and trust God for what He might do that's beyond what we might imagine. We have an opportunity to truly be devoted to each other. We have the opportunity to, to hold up the centrality of the gospel and to always proclaim Christ as the answer for the transformation and for the release of people that are burdened and captured by the enemy of our age. And then finally, you know, we have the opportunity to actually move out into this community and make a difference. And uh, it's my prayer that we will live that story well. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today to just reflect back on, on this book of Acts. Lord, it's been a great story. It's been exciting. There's been many things that have been intriguing and have been fascinating. Lord, we live in a culture that has become very much of a spectator culture. We watch other people play the game on the field. We, we watch other people do this and do that. And uh, Lord, we don't want to just be enamored by the story. We want to live the story. We want to be faithful to you. We want to we discover what it is in this vision that you called us to, what that really looks like. And Lord, we know that in the end, it will look like people's lives being transformed through the power of the gospel. So Father, we just pray for that. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us and move in our community. And Lord, we, we are excited about that. Lord, give us courage to take on the evil around us. And uh, Lord, as we make ourselves available, we know that you'll do your work and you'll write your story through this church body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.